Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a Ken's Five podcast on your San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball in general. I'm Jackson Floyd. I'm Cameron Songer. And later on, we'll be joined by Vinny Vinzetta in a conversation we recorded last week uh, discussing the Spurs youth movement they've got going on and their summer league they just wrapped up. Uh, but we would be remiss if we didn't start this podcast off with some uh, breaking news here. Uh, and that's, you know, the big fundamental changes going on here in San Antonio. And Cameron, Tim Duncan is back. Timmy is back. This is really exciting. This was, you know, sort of the top story in San Antonio yesterday, Monday. Uh, and it's kind of continued here into Tuesday as we're recording this. The, there's still just a buzz. There's kind of an excitement around people who follow this team. And even on social media, everything, you know, the Spurs have a national following, uh, but San Antonio in particular is just really excited about this. So he is an assistant coach now on Greg Popovich's bench. Um, the greatest player in Spurs history uh, is joining the bench. He is a top 15 all-time scorer. He is a 15-time all-star. You don't see players like this coming to the bench. That means a multitude of things here for the Spurs. They're getting one of the greatest of all time. They're to mentor the the youth that we've been talking about, the, this young core they have here. Uh, and then also just like being there alongside players he was with. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge was a guy who he was a teammate with. Patty Mills was a guy he was a teammate with. That's a lot of corporate knowledge they're adding to the bench um, as someone who's been in Pop's kind of universe for the last two decades. Yeah, and as much as young players maybe take you don't you don't reach the NBA without listening to your coaches you know but sometimes you, you it might be hard as a player to listen to a coach uh, you know you think well what have they you know what have they done it's not as much a problem with coach pop and the spurs but now there's absolutely no excuse for that at all uh if you're a spurs player with tim duncan talking to you especially these these big guys lucas samanich Jakob uh, Pertl, uh, possibly Chimezi Metu. Uh, these guys are in the Spurs orbit, and they're just going to be absorbing all of this Tim Duncan knowledge. And he had sort of had this role even as a player. I think that the best example of that is Aaron Baines, a guy who came into the league, and he was really raw. And he's really carved out a pretty nice career. He's, he's bounced around a fair bit, uh, but he's carved out a nice career just because he was able to learn from Tim Duncan and absorb everything about not just the way he played the game but the way he approached and prepared for the game and there are a lot of guys who don't get that benefit and are flame out of the league you know there's a lot of uh, guys who come into the league with potential and don't realize that potential because they don't get the right coaching now the Spurs are going to have that coaching yeah you're exactly right I mean as a player I think even early on and especially towards the end of his career he was a guy who was that mentor who was Pop's kind of second voice, or the, the voice of Pop on that team on, and those players there. And it's a role that he kept to even after retirement. Uh, you know, you'd see video, you'd see photos from practices, you'd hear stories about, oh, Timmy showed up today. Oh, he scrimmaged with these with these guys, with the big men here, kind of putting them through their paces. It kind of became kind of a contentious thing during the Kawhi Leonard debacle where oh yeah Kawhi was scrimmaging with Tim Duncan while everyone else is practicing like why can't he return to the court but Duncan's always kind of been around uh and now he's doing it in an official capacity um from someone who's kind of been around uh, kind of been a Spurs fan for a while he was not the guy I picked from the big three to return to coach you know there were guys like Manu Ginobili who seemed to be that more active more passionate more vocal person um Timmy seemed to really kind of be a quiet kind of guy in his retirement. He enjoyed his retirement. So it's interesting to see him return to the bench here. Yeah, I think three years is a really good amount of time for a player who'd been in the league for so long and had been such a dependable part of the team and, you know, perennial all-star. I think as much as he avoided the media while he was a player, 
part of that time was just getting away from the spotlight, getting away and maybe you know be, being more of a family man and also exploring some of his other uh, interests in life, uh, growing as a person. But I, I think it's clear that that passion, that fire for uh, competing and participating at the highest level in the NBA never really left. So he was always kind of, he was around. You know, you hear from, uh, some of our Ken's Five Sports Reporters that maybe 70% of the practices, Tim was there, at least present in the practice facility. So for him to be, again, now coming back as an official coach, I think it makes a lot of sense that that, that, that time has sort of passed a little bit. I think maybe he tried the, you know, the retired, the laid back life and found out that it maybe wasn't as much for him as he maybe even had hoped. Yeah, you talk about laid back. One of the things he did in retirement was grow that hair out. You know, <laughs> does he keep the retirement dreads on the bench there? Or, uh... I, I, I think I think why not? Yeah. You know, what are you really going to tell Tim Duncan? I think, and that was one of the the things. I think we'll probably get into it later as we get a little bit more uh, big fun pod uh, in this segment. But uh, the reaction on social media about how he's going to dress as a uh, as oh, a yeah. coach because that was one of the <laughs> ongoing memes even before memes were memes. Uh, you know, talking back 2003, 2004, 2005, as players were really developing their own sense of style and then you know the NBA instituted the dress code and sort of you know tightened things up a little bit but Tim Duncan still dressed like you know your dad or your uncle at a barbecue when everyone else is you know Gucci this and Prada that or whatever uh that, that was never Tim Duncan I, now he's gonna have to wear a suit on the bench and that's, he can't yeah he can't bring out the the baggy target jeans <laughs> he'd wear or something like that uh, I'm excited for the return of the memes I'm excited for maybe a possible return of Onion articles. There's a plethora of great Onion articles written about Tim Duncan and his role as an economic advisor to the players, uh, coaching them up on World War One history, things like that. Uh, this was a coaching bench, that coaching roster that really needed a retooling here this offseason. You saw Ime Udoka go to Philadelphia, where he's joining head coach Brett ba- Brown's uh, team there. You saw Torrey Messina uh, jump ship to go to Italy to join uh, as a head coach there at for an Italian team there. Those are two of the more senior guys on this coaching roster. And now it's replaced by Tim Duncan, who is two decades of corporate knowledge here. And Will Hardy is the other guy kind of getting the step up. He's been an assistant with the Spurs for a while, but he's moving to the front of the uh, front of the lineup there as an assistant coach. Uh, tell me a little bit about him and uh, what you expect kind of him to bring. Yeah, he started as an intern with the Spurs uh, back in 2010, at least officially, uh, out of Williams College out in um, the Northeast. Uh, great program up there, but uh, talk about bringing that winning culture and being a part of the, the Spurs family and, and continuing to bring that corporate knowledge, although obviously not with the same depth or length as uh, Tim Duncan. But yeah, I think just sort of firming up the the assistant coaching staff uh the the really important name though is becky hammond among the assistant coaches and it, the spurs haven't announced anything yet nothing is formal yet but we're assuming at this point that she's probably the top assistant and that's something that the spurs do make a an official designation of there are a bunch of assistant coaches but one of them is the top assistant yeah and uh, the season starts mid-october i'd imagine by the time training camp rolls around they've made that assistant coach uh, top assistant coach designation hammond is of course the likely choice here um and it i mean we've talked about it a little bit before but when that choice is made she's more than likely going to be the first female to head coach a basketball team uh this coming season, all it takes is one coach pop ejection for her to get that kind of step up into that role there. And then, of course, all it takes is a coach pop ejection and a Becky Hammond ejection for Tim Duncan to head coach uh, a, a game or two or a quarter here and there. I'd have to look back. I don't know how many times a, a ref has tossed two 
coaches in the, the same game. Uh, although we have seen uh, Tim Duncan get in trouble from the bench before. <laughs> that was a, a Twitter joke there. It was that Joey Crawford stepped in out of retirement to give him the technical there. <laughs> yeah, no, unless Joey Crawford's also coming out of retirement. I think Tim Duncan's probably going to be safe as an assistant on the bench. But yeah, the, the, the joke for people who, who don't know is... Uh, probably what 2009 2010 thereabouts Tim Duncan was laughing at a foul call he was sitting on the bench and got a technical foul and got ejected from the game (laughs) while he was on the bench laughing at what he perceived to be a bad call yeah it was one of the more ridiculous things I think I've seen in an NBA game Uh, another question coming out of the surrounding Becky Hammond is for the last couple years has been rumblings as who is the heir apparent in the Spurs organization Um, it might have been a Tori Messina that was kind of one of the talking points there it seems now that it may be Becky Hammond and that heir apparent role unless you think maybe Tim Duncan wants to head coach I don't see that but it seems like this is Becky's uh Becky's team in the of the future here no doubt I mean they wouldn't be giving her the opportunity to coach the summer league teams uh so many times this year and, and in years past if, if that wasn't the case I mean the summer league we've seen has been a springboard for coaches and, and a testing ground where young coaches up and coming coaches get the chance to actually coach NBA players sometimes fringe NBA players but NBA players in NBA games and, and you bring up an interesting point with Tim Duncan. I'm, he doesn't strike me as the kind of person who actually wants the full responsibility, the full spotlight that comes with being an NBA head coach. There's a big difference between being an assistant coach and being a head coach. There are plenty of former NBA stars. Tim Duncan might actually be the most high profile in a, in a long time to, to become uh, a coach of any kind, but there's a long history of the guys who are the superstars not being great head coaches. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not going to be capable assistant coaches, but I think that's maybe where Tim Duncan is. And who knows how long he'll actually stay an assistant coach. That's another thing I've been hearing uh, some of these talking heads talking about. Maybe this is more just a trial run. He's been around. He might want to you know, dip his toe in the water and try being the official head co- or an official assistant coach. And if it's maybe too much for him, maybe he dials it back a little bit and goes back to what he was doing. So I don't think we'll see Tim Duncan as a Spurs head coach. I do think Becky Hammond will be the head coach of the Spurs in the next five years. Yeah, I agree with you exactly on that point. I think, um, I mean, in my mind, the timeline here kind of lines up with what we've been expecting from Greg Popovich. If he has two to three years left, this is a great opportunity for him to spend two to three years with probably his best professional friend here uh, in San Antonio alongside Tim Duncan. He had a great quote to go with this announcement here. I'm not going to do it exactly here. I don't have it in front of me, but it was something along the lines of, you know, well, as I was his assistant for 19 years, it's only fitting now that he returns the favor. And uh, it's my classic coach pop. It's a great line from him. And who knows how long, if it was a spur of the moment cuff off the cuff thing he offered, or if he really worked that joke and kind of, kind of figured out what workshopped it. Yeah. How how, was he going around the office? You know, it sounded like this Tim Duncan thing was maybe brewing for a little while it wasn't an, it wasn't a spur of the moment kind of thing yeah i mean uh, so his wife kind of made mention of that on twitter you know that have after weeks of almost spilling the beans here she's finally happy to yeah, kind of so you wonder if coach pop was out there bouncing around the offices trying to figure out the perfect uh, the perfect joke the perfect one-liner i like that idea of him just <laughs> coming up to the water cooler everyone's hanging out hey guys i want to you know got a joke for you guys what happens in the spurs offices in in mid you know mid-july early july when you know when half of the staff is out at summer league and uh 
you know, what, what's Coach Pop working on? You know, he's, he probably had a, had a glass of wine and was uh, and was writing jokes. He's probably more relaxed then than he is in like mid-April or June or so. Oh, I, I'm sure rodeo road trip Coach Pop is a completely different person. <laughs> You're talking about things happening in the office. And uh, we, we did say, you know, Tim Duncan is probably the biggest change, uh, or the more the more publicized change out of the, the moves they've made. But it's not the only one they've done. Um, R.C. Buford is leaving his role as the general manager here for the Spurs and moving up to the CEO of Spurs Sports and Entertainment. And for those of you who don't know, Spurs Sports and Entertainment not only run the San Antonio Spurs, they run the G League affiliate Austin Spurs, the minor league hockey team San Antonio Rampage. They also run the San Antonio Football Club. So this is a big organization that he's kind of taken the heady, head roll on here. Uh, and in his place in the GM spot, they're kind of moving Brian Wright into that position as day-to-day basketball operations. He's a guy who's been an assistant GM here um, with the Spurs. But I mean, Buford's leaving behind quite the legacy. Two championships, two executive of the years here. Um, yeah, he's meant a lot to this team. Yeah, yeah. He was the GM from 2002 uh, to 2019, so been a part of the Spurs for a really long time. Uh, the executive of the year in the NBA in 2014 and 2016. So that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg for what his legacy will be in San Antonio with the, the Spurs. And obviously he can continue to write that legacy. But it, with the Spurs as the general manager, look at the, the players he's brought on and the team he's been able to build and keep together for so long. That's It's not something we might see ever again with the the modern NBA now with the way players move around that everybody who was involved with building and maintaining the big three is a special person. Yeah. And I mean, he worked a lot in tandem with Popovich, who was the president of basketball operations uh, and and kind of building this team. And it sounds like the Spurs knew they had the guy they wanted to move up and replace him in making this move. Brian Wright is someone who's been with the uh, the organization for a while, uh, more recently gotten more responsibilities in the organization. Uh, According to Jabari Young, who kind of reported the Buford news over the weekend, Wright played a part in the Kawhi trade and kind of orchestrating DeMar DeRozan and Jaka Pertle coming down. He also handled the Rudy Gay re-signing this uh, offseason, as well as the Damari Carroll sign-and-trade in which uh, Davis Bertans was sent to Washington in order to make room for that roster spot there. Yeah, that was a great move until, you know, the other part of it fell through, and, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, it's classic Spurs, you know, bringing in uh, people from within, not not bringing people from outside. If you're coming into the Spurs, you're coming in starting from the bottom, and then, the people who are up in the higher levels are there because they've worked their way up. A lot of moves for the Spurs this summer, and of course, there are plenty of other guys with the Spurs who are staying busy this summer. Greg Popovich, of course, has this um, big Team USA commitment. He's the head coach and running the program now. They've got a World Cup coming up here, and I don't know who's going to be on the team. Uh, It sounds like San Antonio Spurs' DeMar DeRozan is pulling out, withdrawing to focus on the upcoming season. That seems to be a theme across the league. A lot of players pulling out. This dropout list is growing. Yeah, it's starting to get a little concerning. Obviously, you're not going to have the LeBron, Kevin Durant uh, teams of Team USA from the past that you know fans got used to watching. But now some of these guys who you would think would probably be near the top of a potential Team USA, they're not going to participate this summer. Anthony Davis, James Harden, Bradley Beal, Eric Gordon, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Tobias Harris, and Zion Williamson are already confirmed not interested, not participating this year, want to focus on the upcoming season. And I think that's a list that makes sense. Those are a lot of guys who were on teams who made deep playoff runs, have a lot of mileage over the last two or three years, and want to focus on making sure their body and their minds are ready for training camp, preseason, and uh, obviously getting into the the upcoming season. The one 
kind of interesting one I have here is Zion Williamson. Um, as a guy who missed Summer League, who hasn't played since March, April, he seems like the perfect kind of fit to, to get on the squad, get into basketball shape, get around these guys, play professional basketball with some of the best. I mean, obviously not the best now since more people are pulling out, but with professional guys who've been doing this for a while. That's the person I think would benefit the most from being in this World Cup designation. And also he could really take the mantle as a leader on that squad of, I don't know, C-list guys, B-list guys. Yeah, um, there's there's a there's a um, precedent for it. Uh, it's more in the Olympics than in the World Cup. The World Cup is not something that's traditionally been as big going back for you know, 20, 30 years. But the 1992 Dream Team, Christian Leitner was the top, yep. top guy coming out of college that year. And then... Uh, Anthony Davis was on the Team USA in 2012 uh, with a team that included Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, guys when they were kind of at the peak of their powers. So there, there's a precedent there for uh, Zion Williamson. And because it's the World Cup, you're not going to have the, the cream of the crop guys. There's a chance for him to actually go out and make an impact, not just be the 12th guy, you know, towel waving on the end of the bench. So, yeah, I'm a little interested in what that means for Zion. There were some shots of him at Summer League where he's sitting on the bench and maybe doesn't look like he's in the greatest shape. So I think that maybe is something coming from the Pelican staff more than Zion himself deciding, I don't want to do this. It's probably more of, we really want to make sure we're keeping an eye on you. You're our guy. You're our ticket for the future. And if anything happens, our franchise is in trouble. Is he already kind of found his way in New Orleans in in terms of uh, the gumbo, the crawfish boils, the po' boys? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, Vegas certainly doesn't help. Vegas isn't isn't great for that stuff either. But yeah, his his development is going to be one of the top stories for a team that, you know, I think some people are thinking could make an outside shot at the playoffs. They need him to be great. And without uh, uh, fans getting a chance to see him, in the red, white, and blue this summer. It'll be hard to know. Yeah, so training camp is about two weeks away. Who's going to be on this roster come training camp time? I know we've heard recently that Marcus Smart and uh, Julius Randle are two names kind of been in, in talks of being on this team. Who else is out there that have been reported on being a part of yeah, this? The two names that I think will probably end up being the headliners for this team are Kemba Walker and Kevin Love, both guys who were on teams who missed the playoffs last year, so their legs are relatively fresher. Uh, all-star guys, guys who've been doing it in the league for a while now, uh, who haven't really had the chance to star in the red, white, and blue yet. So great for them. Uh, Obviously, you hope they don't get hurt for their teams. But yeah, I think it would be a good thing if those two guys are sort of the headliners. And that's, that's sort of the class of guys we're looking at right now is probably not the, or definitely not the A-list, all NBA guys, probably fringe all-stars and particularly guys who are on teams who weren't in the playoffs last year. That's why it's surprising Bradley Beal uh, isn't isn't on this list. I think he could do a lot for himself in terms of putting his face and name in front of a more national audience, mm-hmm. potentially building some trade value if that's what is uh, is in the cards for him. Uh, and then moving further down the list, you're looking at younger guys who are starting to prove themselves in the NBA, maybe have played with Team USA as the select team in the past, and now get the opportunity to get the promotion to the World Cup team. There's sort of been tiers uh, throughout Team USA in the last decade or so, going back to Coach Mike Krzyzewski and now Greg Popovich. There's the Olympic team, that's the the A squad. Then there's a mix of those Olympic guys and some other guys that make up your World Cup team. And then they also have what they call the select team, which is usually guys who are under 25 
who are working out with each other and are believed to be the future of Team USA. And the, some of these names, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Aaron Gordon, I think, are mm-hmm. guys who have some experience playing with the USA Select team, now could be playing on the team for real. Uh, and just to clarify, too, just because players aren't playing in this World Cup doesn't mean they can't play in the Correct. Olympics two years from now. I've got a couple of uh, big fun names to throw out. Some big fun all-stars, if you will. Um, two guys who I think have nothing to lose and everything to prove, especially in one guy's case. Carmelo Anthony, if he comes out, he's proven himself as an international basketball goat, one of the greatest U.S. Olympians of all time. This is his time. This is the Carmelo Anthony redemption tour. You go out there and you show you can still be the man on a court with other guys. You're looking at maybe getting a vet minimum contract somewhere. He's unsignable right now. Even the Lakers, who had a spot, who had his friend in LeBron James, didn't seem too keen on bringing him in. You bring him in, let them let him do that. The other guy I want to mention is Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, his game doesn't really fit. We love him ball. on this podcast, don't we? We're just gonna this. Yeah, we're, this, this is, is a Dwight all Howard fun. fan podcast. We're, you can't see right now, but I'm wearing a mellow jersey, and Cameron's <laughs> in his Dwight Howard jersey. Uh, it's the uh, yeah, the Washington Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, it looks really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, vintage, vintage. But yeah, so those are two guys I think might be interesting. This this last guy I want to mention who, as a Team USA potential here is a little bit of a Spurs homer pick. But man, if you get Dejounte Murray out there. That's a guy who hasn't played basketball in a year. Let him do a warm-up, a trial run. He already knows Pop's system. I assume Pop's going to do some of the same things he does as a head coach with the Olympic team here. That'd be very interesting to see. Yeah, we know LaMarcus Aldridge hasn't withdrawn his name yet. He would be the only spur if he goes through. And it would be really interesting to see if he is on the roster, how much does Coach Popovich maybe keep the training wheels on for him a little bit, knowing that he's going to be the guy who's going to be playing big minutes for you in the regular season. Uh, this World Cup is something that's happening a little bit later than usual, talking about a September time frame, and the NBA actually pushing back the start of the preseason and the regular season a little bit to accommodate for that. Uh, but th- you are still talking about adding extra games, you know, whatever, five, six, seven, eight games, and you're factoring in on all of the exhibitions and preliminary rounds and all of that stuff. These are high-level games, and you don't necessarily want any extra risk for your key guys. Let's, I'll throw out a couple more names. Uh, I'm not sure if these are names that are officially on the roster or not because it seems to be changing so much now, mm-hmm. even hour to hour. Uh Devin Booker would be a fun one. I think his game oh, yeah. would fit really well in the international game where there's a really big emphasis on floor spacing. Harrison Barnes has been a member of Team USA before. He just signed a big contract, so I think the Sacramento Kings are probably a little bit wary about that. Him personally, he you know he can say, well, I'm getting paid. You know, I want to go out there and play for Team USA again. And then Donovan Mitchell, I think, would be another really fun name to have out there. A guy who probably should have won Rookie of the Year two years ago had that really great feel-good story, sort of led the Jazz out of nowhere. This past year, they were a little bit more down, didn't make it out of the first round. So I think it would be a great chance for him to uh, to get boost his profile again. He also has a, a new Adidas shoe coming out that I think is, is pretty cool, and he, that would get him out in front of uh, some more fans again. Oh, definitely. And it's not like Team USA is the only team dealing with this. You know, Team Canada has seen a lot of their players pull out. Uh, I know Ben Simmons has been reported not playing for Team Australia. So this is going around, I think, Internationally, and I think part of that deals with the later start. I think we're also looking at a league that feels more wide open than normal. There's 10 to 12 people who could teams that could potentially win the championship. And so those players see that window. They don't want to get hurt here in August and miss that opportunity, which may be their only opportunity to win a championship. Who knows what the league looks like in two years from now when Durant's healthy and that Brooklyn team is firing on all cylinders. 
Um, and yeah, going back to that uh, kind of that late start, the season is right around the corner too. October 5th is the start of preseason that was announced this week. The Spurs have three home games um, versus the Magic, the Pelicans, and the Grizzlies. And then their last two games will be at the Heat, at the Rockets, rounding out that five-game preseason schedule. Yeah, it's something the NBA has worked on in recent years. It used to be longer. There used to be really a whole month of preseason. They've really condensed it because they recognize that players nowadays are coming to that beginning of October, and they're ready to go. So there's also this emphasis on moving the start of the season up so they can reduce the number of back-to-backs or three and fours for teams. So you're lengthening the regular season by adding more off days, starting it earlier, shorten the preseason. It's all good stuff. It's hard to get too excited about preseason games for the Spurs. I think the places that get more excited for preseason games are these markets that don't have an NBA team. I would love to see the Spurs maybe play a preseason game up in Austin or something like that. Maybe go to Waco. Oh yeah. Uh, instead of playing all three games at the AT and T Center, because sometimes it just does. It just lacks that same buzz. I am excited to see uh, the top two picks in the draft. Theoretically, if they're healthy and are on the rosters for those games, in John Morant and Zion Williamson are slotted to come to San Antonio. The flip side of that is those are also division opponents. So in addition to the fact that the Spurs are playing the Pelicans and Grizzlies as much as any other team, they're also playing them in the preseason. So they'll be familiar with those guys by March, April time. Yeah, there'll be some cards held back, I believe. But it it will be exciting to see those guys. There's two teams that kind of rebuilt themselves this offseason, kind of roll in and see what's new. And those will be pretty exciting. I'd imagine if Zion Williamson is playing, that might be a pretty well-attended preseason game. Uh, but yeah, who knows how much he plays? Who knows how much any of these Spurs players play in this preseason? Um, before we get to Vinny Vinzetta, our conversation with Vinny, do you want to quickly address a couple of things that may be driving us batty here? Yeah, I'll say I'll take one here. Uh, one thing that's driving me batty is that the NBA is already entering this weird sort of tampering phase, thinking about free agency several years from now well first of all there was this whole drama with Kawhi Leonard and his logo and whether the Clippers could buy it so that they could use that and give it to him as a free agency perk and that just seems like that should be so illegal and there should be red flags going off all over the place <laughs> and ended up not happening I as far as I know yeah uh, yeah Nike still owns that logo and then there was the the drawing of it's just it's crazy that whole thing I don't even want to talk about it because we can do a whole podcast we, on the drawing on, later uh, <laughs> the, the Kawhi Leonard Envy is still kind of a thing here. But what's driving me batty is Costas Antetokounmpo signing a two-way deal with the Lakers. This that should be it should be no big deal, but what a lot of people are saying is this is an attempt for the Lakers to woo Giannis, who's a free agent in 2 years, that the Lakers are basically giving a two-way spot to Giannis's brother with the hopes of luring Giannis in two years when he can become a free agent because that's already what teams are looking for now is the summer of 2021 and Giannis Antetokounmpo being the big free agent we're already bypassing the summer of 2020 there aren't that many good free agents it seems like the Lakers can can make the case and say yeah Casas Antetokounmpo we're interested in his development as a player we hope he can become like Giannis what they really want is Giannis yeah uh, and I mean, it, it kind of came up earlier this offseason because the Mavericks really signed it, uh, originally signed Costas Antetokounmpo, and people were like, oh, is Dallas going to try to get him now? Of course, they waive him uh, just a couple months later, and now it's like, oh man, is, Gian- is Giannis not going to go to Dallas because they waived his brother and things like that? Yeah, it, it kind of falls into that tampering role. Um, I got a little distracted there just imagining, uh, re- remembering what Kawhi's hand logo was there. Uh, just ridiculous. Um, something that kind of goes hand in hand with what uh, is driving me batty right now, and that's that 
that, you know, we are kind of in the, the slowing down of the offseason here. The players have moved, you know, the free agency is over with. The major kind of pieces are all in place. But that the media still needs something to talk about, right? And what pops up when that happens is, you know, these trade speculations, these rumor mills, the, the wheels keep turning on these rumors here. Uh, I saw one media person writing about LaMarcus Aldridge reuniting back in Portland with Damian Lillard again. And, and then another one, oh, DeMar DeRozan, his name popped up in another trade. The Spurs aren't moving these guys right now. Uh, these are storylines that have been addressed in, pre in seasons past in terms of Aldridge trying to go back to Portland. And earlier in this offseason with Demaro, maybe he's being traded. Maybe the Spurs are trying to shop him. Uh, I'm not buying into these rumors. I think it's really just a lack of content for people to write about. Now we have other things to write about in terms of Duncan coming to the bench and uh, R.C. Buford moving. So maybe these rumors quiet down. Um, but yeah, kind of drives me batty there, Cameron. Driving us batty. So I'll, I'll even add a bonus what's driving me batty. Oh my goodness. The big three. They, they ditched us. Oh, they no. ditched us, Jackson. We they, were looking, we were yeah, looking we're, forward to that. We were looking forward to having the big three coming to San Antonio and uh, potentially doing some, some podcast stuff with them and uh, announced on Monday that they're moving that uh, up to Dallas and doing a, a festival with some music. It sounds like it's going to be fun, but uh, I think the concerns maybe they weren't selling tickets as much as they had hoped in San Antonio weren't uh, generating the excitement. That, that whole league, it's... Uh, there's some interesting elements to it, but I also think it's just hard for fans to get into it. I, I know that uh, there's always someone who's trying to fill in in the offseason, whether that was the AAF or the XFL and the NFL offseason, and the big three trying to step in as the NBA's offseason. But as the NBA continues to grow, Summer League continues to grow, the the excitement around free agency and the draft, I don't think there's really as much of a strong market for off-season basketball as there is for off-season football. Yeah, I, I, you mentioned waning ticket sales. I, I cited uh, something else here. Uh, they were scared of the big three forming in San Antonio, and that's the Spurs coaching bench here. I think it's big three team of Tim Duncan, Becky Hammond, and Will Hardy could probably beat most of these guys here. Just, I don't, I've never seen Will Hardy play basketball, but you're just the third wheel on a team of Becky and Tim, you know, they could really take him to court there. put you or me out there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and all, and all, and all intents and purposes, there. I think a, a big fun road trip might be still in order to go to Dallas and watch these big three games. We're a transition here to our conversation with Vinny Vanzetta, a Kins Five Sports anchor, uh, and talking about the young core here in San Antonio. We have a very special guest, Kins Five Sports anchor, sports reporter, all things Kins Five, Vinny Vanzetta. You have your hands in very many pies here, uh, Vinny. It's a good thing. I like it a lot. Yes, sir. Good to be with you guys for sure. Yeah, and I mean, just right off the bat, let's get some uh, Spurs news out of the way, some housekeeping here. Uh, goodbye, Marcus Morris, and hello, Trey Lyles. Of course, as we were started recording last week, news broke that Morris was reconsidering his deal with San Antonio. Ends up that's the case. He goes to the New York Knicks on a one-year $50 million deal. What do you guys think about that? I think it was a big mess. I mean, it was uh, it was horrifying for the Spurs, and I think the commissioner has pointed out this whole gentleman's agreement thing. There's got to be some discussion about how these things are going to play out and handle themselves because a few years ago you had DeAndre Jordan committing to the Mavs, never happened, and now Marcus Moore. So not a good look for the Spurs, for GMRC Buford, for the league, for anybody. So glad it's kind of happened and we're moving forward, but but not a fun time at all. See, I don't think it's that bad of a look for the Spurs. I mean, I know it, it it's a bummer, but I think it's way, however bad it looks for the Spurs, it looks way worse for Marcus Morris. 
uh, in that, you know, you made an agreement, you, you know, you gave your word that you were going to do something and then you backed out of it. It wasn't that the Spurs were not interested anymore. The Spurs were going on with the assumption that they were going to get him. That's why they made the move to get Davis Bertans out of here yeah. to open up that roster spot. It's clear that the Spurs were under that impression. I, I think if anything, the move, the perception nationally for the Spurs is kind of pity. Like, oh, this guy burned you. Like, that's that's a bummer for you. Uh, yeah, it, it's really a bad look for Marcus Morris. And I think uh, when he, when the Knicks come to the AT&T Center, as much as that probably is not going to be too much of an appealing draw for San Antonio fans, I, I expect them to boo him when he when he shows up here. And that's it, it, when you've done something to to anger a team that you've never even played for, you did something wrong. I think he's definitely on the Spurs fans' hate list, right? He's probably below Kawhi Leonard right now, but yeah, he's right there on the list. It's, well, I was going to say, yeah, we recall the the boos that Kawhi got. I'm curious when when the Knicks come calling. <laughs> it's it's a short list too. I mean, the Spurs fans are a great bunch, but it's a relatively short list. Zaza Pachulia, Kawhi Leonard, and now Marcus Morris, and that's all I can really think of is guys who deserve uh, ire from the Spurs fans. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly. It looks to me like Marcus Morris really thought he was going to get more money on this free agency market. And uh, he kind of showed that off as well because, I mean, he did take more money to go. It's a one-year deal in New York, but it is $5 million more. And after agreeing to that deal in New York, he fires Rich Paul as his agent. Um, Again, I think he thought maybe Paul couldn't get him the money he was looking for. Um, But, yeah, he felt like he settled by taking the Spurs deal and ends up going to New York and taking more money. I think uh, Spurs fans are worried about the Rich Paul uh, angle in this due to DeJounte Murray being his agent. But I think we're all good there on that count. Yeah, we're absolutely good there with with, with DJ. And my whole point was when this story first came out, everybody thought, well, how can we fix this? How can the Spurs fix this? How can the NBA fix this? And the answer was, it's not getting fixed. There's so much already out there about him leaving. He's not ever going to be a San Antonio Spur. I mean, this is out there. It's done. He's gone. I say good riddance and let's uh, crank up the boo factor when he shows up. So let's talk about Trey Lyles then. I mean, he's 23 years old off the bat, but hasn't had a very successful start to his NBA career. Yeah, he's a a high caliber guy. I mean, we talked a little bit about this with Thomas Robinson coming in with the summer league, a guy who was drafted kind of highly and hasn't really had the career that I think a lot of people expected based on what his production was in college. He is not as good right now as Marcus Morris is, and he probably at this point in his career isn't as good as Marcus Morris was at the same point in his career. Does it mean that he will never be a productive NBA player? No, he's been a decent NBA player and a rotation player on a playoff team these last few years, the first two years of his career in Utah, last two in Denver. He's going to be a part of the Spurs. It's just a matter of can they unlock some of his potential. I completely agree with that, and I think long-term is what you look for here. And and to me, he's a guy that fits that mold, as Cameron was mentioning, that turns into a really nice role player. I think shooting coach Chip England and, of course, Pop, they'll find those hidden things that he did well in Denver and make him do those things even better in San Antonio. I like it. The youth is there. He'll pay off. I think so, too. Um, the one thing that kind of – I I see a difference between Morris and Lyles, and they are two different players. Morris was coming in as a borderline starter. You know, we talked about where does he fit in this rotation. It adds so much depth. Lyles is not that kind of player. He's not going to be a starter. He's going to be coming off the bench. He might factor in as the second power forward, third power forward on the floor. Um, But you are getting more upside in the youth, and this is still a deep team. You know, I joked with somebody when the Morris thing was supposedly going to happen. I read his Wikipedia page, and he's had a few checkered event uh, type issues in his past. And I said, look, 
I wouldn't be surprised if this guy pushes somebody in the Riverwalk at some point <laughs> after a fun night out. But if he still gets you double digits, I guess it's a, I guess it's a win win. But I, yeah, I question yeah. I question a little bit of his character, so I'm not sure if it's going to be a huge loss in the end. And the way the Spurs historically do business, they got the right guys. They have the right guys. Yeah, Morris's reputation around the league is is a tough guy, a tough defender, somebody uh, teammates like to play with. Generally, now would he make your defense better? Yes. Oh yeah, no no doubt. He's a better uh, shooter and a better defender than Trey Lyle. Uh, but the the question would have been if if Marcus Morris had ended up coming back and the Knicks thing had fallen through, the question would have been about his dedication to San Antonio. How committed is he to being a member of this team? It would have been a, a contract for at least the year, possibly the second year. And I think that could be a potential problem. I think Trey Lyles is a guy who should be coming in and, you know, clearly he wasn't the Spurs' first option. He wasn't the first option for a lot of teams. So you come in, you have a lot to prove. You have a lot of other young guys and there's a there's a clear and defined role and i i think the the point you made about chip england is is terrific because the one thing that you need now out of a modern power forward is the ability to shoot the ball uh trey lyles last year shot just 25.5 percent from behind the arc compare that to 37.5 for marcus morris that's a big drop off uh but you know it could have just been sort of a a a situation in the offense a, a slump or whatever you want to call it uh I think Trey Lyles has a lot of improving to do there, but physically he has the tools for sure. They had to find somebody though, guys. This was this whole mess was toward the end of free agency, so you know I, I think some may say, well, they found something off the trash heap. That's that's not the case, but they were short on time. You had to find somebody, and I think they found a good get here in Trey Lyles. But they had to they had to do something quick and get somebody in here. I agree, and I mean there aren't like you said a lot of names left. There weren't. I think there was conversation maybe about do they wait for an Iguodala buyout? Do they try to make a trade there? I don't think that was going to be an option. And I like the youth that Lyles brings. And I think, like you said, that 25% from the three-point line could be a slump. We've got the tools here to turn that around in Chip England. Completely agree. Yep. Now, free agency, like you said, is winding down. It's over, but that doesn't mean the moves are done. We saw a blockbuster move between the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the Thunder send Russell Westbrook to the Rockets, a reunion there, bring, uh, pairing James Harden and Westbrook back together. Meanwhile, Houston gives up Chris Paul, a first-round pick in 2024 and 26. Those are protected. And there's pick swaps as well involved in this in 2021 and 2025. Guys, how do we like that fit there in Houston? Well, I mean, off the top, you have two guys that are MVP players. How do you share the basketball? Now, people have said, well, you know, in their younger years, they played together in Oklahoma City. But remember, even though that was somewhat Russ's team and, and we're still waiting for, for Kevin Durant to come into his own, Harden was a six-man, if I'm correct, on that Thunder team. So I don't know how you share and make this thing work. Yeah, right off the bat, it's a really weird fit for Russell Westbrook based on what the Rockets have been doing these last few years, and that's that they shoot a lot of threes. And Russell Westbrook is a guy who shoots a lot of threes, but he's not very efficient when he shoots threes. He doesn't make a lot of them. Not at all. Uh, he, could, he could really mess up some of their spacing and the way they move the ball. On the other hand, I think the more I've heard other people talking about it and the more I've thought about it, I'm liking this more and more. I, my, my initial reaction was sort of like, Ugh, you know, this is going to be a problem. There's, there's not enough. There's only one basketball. There's not enough to go around for those two. Really, you're taking a guy who's can create a lot of things. He's a very unique player, and I think that rocket system is still going to stay in place. Now you can also stagger their minutes a little bit so that really Westbrook and Harden, one of them will be on the floor all the time, and that's really scary. That's what's the big the big picture here. I doubt they 
have any time on the in a game where one of those guys is not the floor because that's going to be deadly. Uh, matching Westbrook up against the second unit or Harden against the second unit is uh, is pretty deadly. And I still have memories of Harden torching the Spurs second unit in 2012 in the playoffs. So uh, that that always lingers in my mind when talking about this pairing here. Uh, no, it's a halfway silly thought. But what if the Rockets? What if they did ask Westbrook to run your second unit? There you go. <laughs> Just come off the bench, be that sixth man. I think he might say no. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> Probably a guy who won MVP uh, two years ago, but it, 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 you never know. It's the NBA, man. Crazy things happen. You know, from a GM standpoint, it takes a lot of guts to look at your team that has had a lot of success. This is a team that's made the Western Conference Finals on a number of occasions. They've run into one team every year that's defeated them, and that's one of the greatest teams of all time in the Golden State Warriors. Daryl Morey looked at his team and said, let's blow it up. Let's try something different. They could have run it back, but like Masai Ujiri in Toronto did, bring in another superstar, see what happens. So you got to appreciate the moxie there uh, in terms of that. Before the Warriors were blown up, I'm sure you guys have heard this, Daryl Moore's only thought process was, how do I beat Golden State? I'll do whatever I have to do. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's been where his mind has been. I think this is a team that could definitely beat Golden State this year. I don't know if they can beat the Clippers or the Lakers or some of these other kind oh. of super teams that have formed. but The Clippers are a terrible matchup for them just because the Clippers are such a good defensive bunch. And you can put uh, Beverly and George and Kawhi, some combination of those three on uh, Westbrook and Harden, and then say, all right, you know try to score on us but I, I do think the Rockets will be a really good regular season team Russell Westbrook is an amazing regular season player uh, and the fact that one either him or Harden will be feasting on a lot of bench heavy units from other teams the question turns into in the playoffs when those when the starters need to play serious minutes and rotations shorten up those guys have to share the floor how are they going to do it and in winning time you know the last few yeah. minutes who takes that shot who makes that play Rockets fans are probably hoping it's Harden over Westbrook. We've seen some Westbrook kind of bricks at the end of the game. He's someone who's famous for for junking up some some bad shots there. Um, and I think it's going to take a change from him to see, to see some success. I also think it's going to take a change from the Rockets organization, from Mike D'Antoni, to kind of change how they run things. I imagine we see a lot more pick and roll out of this team. It's not going to be a team where James Harden is holding the ball for 23 seconds. You know, it's going to be a team where there's a little bit more movement, a little faster pace in transition with Westbrook, who is by far, I think, the top elite transition guy in the league right now in terms of getting that rebound and hustling down the floor. But it's those other things, too. And plus, you have to wonder, does Mike Tantoni want to change things right now? This is a guy who kind of feels a little betrayed by the organization. His coaching staff was fired. He doesn't have an extension. Mm -hmm. What's his commitment to this? I think he's there, um, but it, it, it's curious for sure. I mean, because it's been a tumultuous off season for them putting the the Westbrook thing aside. Yeah, there's 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 unanswered questions for sure about his future and who believes in who, and uh, you know the whole Paul Harden thing was a mess. So I, I'm 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 curious as a fan to to watch what they put out there. I'm wondering how much they don't just kind of roll it out the first few weeks to say you know. Let's figure this out, you know, without letting the coach get in the way almost. You just have the players start to figure this out. Uh, Chris Paul is has been a great player, but he's definitely on the, the real decline at this point in his career. Westbrook will be at that point soon, I think sooner than I think a lot of people expect, uh, based on the how much his game relies on his athleticism. But Westbrook is a clear upgrade over Chris Paul, and assuming those two can stay on the floor, I think you kind of just you know let them go a little bit and get, let the coach get out of the way and that, you, yeah. you mentioned the, the pick and roll they added Tyson Chandler 
Oh, who's that's not right. a young yeah. kid anymore. No, no, but, not at uh, all. That's somebody that can still work with those guards in, in the paint. He's excellent in the pick and roll. It's funny you mentioned just roll it out and see what happens. The Rockets tried to do that this past season with Carmelo Anthony. They went 11, 14, 11 and 14 in that span, and that led to the last time we've seen Melo on the court. Uh, so interesting to see what happens as this unfolds. Uh, you mentioned Chris Paul. What happens next for him? Is he staying with the Thunder? That seems to be the case now. I don't know if there's a trade partner for them in terms of that. There are still rumors that mm-hmm. could they flip him, um, and will he? Would he be happy? Would he demand that uh, I'm, I'm I'm pushed elsewhere? So that's still to still to play its way out. But uh, I don't know. C- CP3 to me seems like a big market. You know, he does the State Farm commercial, so he it doesn't seem like to me that home will be where the heart is for him in Oklahoma City. That's just my opinion. He does have a connection to Oklahoma City. He played there for a couple years when he was with the uh, the then the Hornets, but they after were the they hurricane. were after the hurricane. Fair, yeah, fair they, point. they played. So he does have a connection doesn't necessarily mean he wants to spend the last few years of his career there to me if i had to guess he probably plays a year there sort of mentors their young guys keeps them from really bottoming out and you know it's a proud organization i don't think they really want to be you know last place and i think now with the way the lottery's been reformed there's less incentive to just be terrible so i think he kind of keeps them there and i think this time next year is when they look to trade him when there's one fewer year on his contract it's a little bit more uh, palatable for another team that maybe strikes out in free agency we know next year's free agent class is not as strong as this year's so maybe uh, at this time next year we're talking about chris paul on a new team as a pseudo free agent with uh, one fewer year left on a deal that still will make him a lot of money interesting time for the thunder because they've never faced a rebuild like this ever in franchise history they've been very steady uh you know people say it was a lost cause that you had harden kd and westbrook and never brought home the title they played for it that one year and lost to lebron and, and miami but they're they're in a curious time there in oklahoma city but man what a haul they got of draft picks my goodness they have some cards to play we were talking about the moxie of houston's gm in this case sam presti went out there uh i think he knew that the Clippers were going to have to give up everything. And they were so devoted to bringing George uh, in order to convince Kawhi to come here that he was able to kind of take a ransom from that. They've got seven first-round picks now. They've got a young player in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I think is a point guard of the future in this league, uh, at least an all-star within the next five years would be my prediction. But, um, yeah, no, that's a team that's really poised to rebuild, um, and they've got the pieces to do it. Sam Presti, by the way, built from... The Spurs culture. It all comes back to the culture here. The organization. No, it seriously yeah. does. The not not just the coaching tree, but the GM tree from San Antonio is remarkable. Yeah, and we've uh, seen that play out a little bit in this offseason. Uh, when we brought Damari Carroll in, reports were that Budenholzer, Mike Budenholzer from the Bucks, Sean Marks from the Nets, called San Antonio, called R.C. Buford, and recommended him as a player to bring in. So. Pretty interesting uh, kind of seeing how that unfolds throughout the league as the Spurs family grows. Um, But, yeah, it's a shifting landscape here in the NBA. We're seeing teams pair up superstars as opposed to trying to build a big three. And, of course, San Antonio is all too familiar with a big three. We had big threes in Boston, Miami. We had big threes in Oklahoma City for a hot minute when uh, Durant and Westbrook and Harden were all there. Golden State was sort of a big three between, I mean, they almost had a big four there, depending on how Draymond was doing that year. Now it seems to be the year of the duo. Um, we have Westbrook and Harden and Houston, as we talked about. Leonard and Paul George in L.A., also LeBron and AD in L.A., Kimbra and Hayward, Luca and Kristaps, Embiid and Simmons. It's like a buddy cop movie here, just the names. <laughs> and then, of course, here in San Antonio, DeMar and LaMarcus. 
What, what do you guys see in that landscape, that, that shift? Well, I'm not sure if this is where you're going, but I would just say competitive balance in the West and in the league, very healthy thing. I mean, everybody, you know, if, if you're not a fan of an individual team, everybody's enjoyed watching the dominance of Golden State. But just from, again, from a competitive balance standpoint, I like this duo thing. And, it, and, 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 and it's who's going to take it this year in the West. It's not, well, who's Golden State going to face in the West Finals and then go to the NBA Finals. We have a lot more balance. I think from a basketball standpoint, it's really kind of hard to build around a big three. We saw, I think the best example of this is in Miami, where Chris Bosh really is a guy who was an all-star, all-NBA caliber kind of player and sort of spotted up in the corner and shot threes and was a stretch big man. And Kevin Love got the same role when he was in Cleveland. This is a guy who had a stretch of 20-20 games in Minnesota. He was an all, he was a stud. And uh, But because Kyrie and LeBron just demanded the ball so much, uh, he his role he was a very 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 good role player on that team. I think Boston did a little bit better. There there have been some other teams that have done it well, but having the two guys, I think, especially in the playoffs, that's what it really kind of boils down to. It's more about the top two guys as opposed to how good is your third or maybe your fourth best guy. Uh, plus, what it means when you're not tying up a third max salary spot for what you can do in building depth. Yeah, I mean, I think Kevin Love has been very open about the the toll that the toll that took on his career and his just mental state too, in terms of being the guy who's playing less, doing less, and then also kind of being the scapegoat when things weren't going well. You know, Kyrie and LeBron were kind of the the golden children there, and it was always when's Kevin Love going to get get it together? When's he going to prove himself as the third guy in this unit? And I would add to that, it, it feels like to me the Spurs big three is kind of the best way it was done. For a while it was Tim's team, and then it turned over to Manu's team, and then it kind of became Tony's team, but yet all three of that big three still contributed. So I think the Spurs did it the best way. Yeah, I mean, we talked, Cameron was saying sacrifice, and that's something Manu Ginobili embodied. You know, he was a guy who could have started on 29 teams. And he instead, he could start on the Spurs too, but he instead takes the role of the sixth man playing 25 minutes a game, knowing he wasn't going to start the games, but he was going to make sure he ended the games. And he ended plenty of games with game-winning shots, taking that sacrifice. But what's crazy about that is he came off the bench, but he was still considered part of the big three. Exactly. <laughs> you would think that a big three would be three of your five starters, but not necessarily the case. You don't see it very yeah. often. Uh, and again, going back to those sacrifices, another thing that was sacrificed in the big three was depth. You know, the Spurs were found a way to always find role players but if you look at the bench for some of those teams like cleveland and miami at the first year of that of that uh big three in miami when really this the heat had to scramble to try to build around lebron and chris bosh they already obviously had Dwayne wade uh this was the roster around those guys and you'll you'll hear these names but remember we're talking about the 2011 versions of these players mike bibby juan howard carlos arroyo zadrunos ilgauskas mike miller jamal mcglore Eric Dampier, Jerry Stackhouse, and Eddie House. That's those, I mean, those, yeah. There's a few other guys who played some significant roles, but that is the majority of your roster. Uh, they also had a second-year Mario Chalmers and a seventh-year James Jones. There was, I mean, that was rough, man. They, that fell off hard after the sixth or seventh guy, like uh, Udonis Haslam. Let me look at that right quick. <laughs> I forget that one Mike's name. Uh, Mike uh, Miller? Mike Miller, the three-point shooter. Oh, oh, yeah. Remember the 2013 or 14 finals, whichever one, I guess 14 when Kawhi was MVP? Didn't he have that insane block on Mike Miller? 
like where he or 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 Miller was going to attempt to block Kawhi, but Kawhi grabbed his face and pushed it out of the way. Yeah, uh, he was a guy who who shone in moments there, and uh, he was also definitely a guy who eventually showed his age for that team there. It wasn't until Ray Allen got in that team that they seemed to fire in all cylinders. Of course, that first year they lost to the Mavericks in the finals. Yeah, I think Ray Allen was added the next year mm-hmm. uh, for either 2012 That's right. or 2013. That was the year yeah. where uh, Dirk was not to be stopped out of yes. his mind. <laughs> One of those runs that you rarely see a player go on where they take command and it's going to be their show. Yep, yep. But yep. that that was an, another example of a team. Granted, that was a, a big one, not a big two or a big three. But they <laughs> had had, tre- they had tremendous depth on that team. They were some really good uh, other players on that team. Sean Marion played a terrific uh, finals and a terrific playoff run sure, there. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Chandler was right about in his prime there. Uh, that was a, a series where I think LeBron and D Wade were probably the two best players on the floor. Uh, for most of the season, obviously Dirk had that great run, but then the next five or six best guys were all on the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. It's funny to look back year by year as the years go by, and you're like, "Oh, that guy was on their roster. Oh, I forgot about him off the bench." <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys will go to the teams like the Big Three, like we saw in Golden State. People who want to win rings, David West from San Antonio went to Golden State to try to get that ring, to grab that ring. He's a guy, yeah, who was out of that system and old. And you look back and you're like, man, David West was on that team. Yeah. You know? But yeah, uh, a lot of names do that. And of course, yeah, this coming year, we're going to look ahead and say there's so many duos here, so many seven to eight man rotations. Then as you're saying, this is a very deep Western Conference. I think there's nine teams that could win 45 games, including the Spurs there. Yeah, let's hoop it up and see what happens. Exactly. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's, it's not a case of just give it to somebody because they're the dominant team. There's a lot of good teams out there and listen man I mean just go through it right quick hey, help me here Utah's better Denver's going to be back the Clippers are better the Lakers are better uh, you got the Rockets have made their move the Spurs are still very steady I mean this thing is wide open yeah. and it's going to be fun Portland will stay in Portland contention. thank you uh, we've got some teams that were on the rise last year too like Dallas and Sacramento yeah who knows what can happen there? I'm really interested to see what happens with Dallas. Kristaps uh, Porzingis having been on the shelf for all of last season. Luka Doncic now with a year under his belt. And the Sacramento Kings, they were really close this past year. I think they kind of just ran out of gas at the at the home stretch. But the Spurs really had trouble with them last Listen, season. Listen, I don't know what the thing is. This De'Aaron Fox kid drives the Spurs insane. I mean, if you, w- you want to be truth about it, he, he has sliced and diced them. So they've got to get a handle on Fox. He kind of fits the mold of players who have bugged the Spurs in the past. We talked about that hardened year in the playoffs. Kind of that slicer, dicer, unstoppable offensive threat. Kyrie Irving, when he was on the Cavs, those years when with LeBron, I always remember he dropped 45 or 50 here in San Antonio every game, and it was just like, man, it's hard to watch over and over again. <laughs> Fox is kind of in that same mold. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Chris Stapps and Luca. That's a big two that's kind of on the cheaper side thanks to Luca's rookie contract. But again, like we've seen some of these big twos around the league. Uh, Westbrook and Harden, 76.7 million. Curry and Clay are 73 million. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, 66 million. Kimba and Hayward, 65. The Spurs come in on the noticeably, noticeably cheaper side there, Cameron, as you pointed out on Twitter, at uh, 53.7 million between LaMarcus and DeMar. That's, it's, it's a bargain, right, to, to pay those two guys just 53.7. It's, it's, <laughs> that's the NBA nowadays. But yeah, you, you look at the salary cap situations for some of these teams around those players and they have really put themselves in a core they're really putting all their eggs in uh the the basket of that pairing of that duo and the spurs while they're capped out also you know they have some flexibility they have some other contracts that they could move around later this year if they need to to try to 
bolster the rotation a little bit around those two guys. I want to say this about the Spurs. Everybody all last season was, you know, maybe this isn't working and what's the problem and we're not winning enough games. And uh, I really, 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 as I've set back and sort of digested the season, I actually believe fully when Pop kept saying, this is a new group. And if you recall, he said new group all the way until the end of the regular season. So I expect this bunch to really take a step. I really do because I, I didn't necessarily buy into the whole new, new, new as the season kept going, but I think it, it's actually true. I mean, it, it takes a while. I completely agree with you, and I think that's going to pay in dividends when DeMar DeRozan's back on the court. A, he's going to be driven and motivated after seeing the Raptors win that championship as being the guy who missed out on that. And B, he's got another year in the Spurs system where he's going to figure some things out, and I think that's going to show on the court. Jante's back, and another year for Derek White, and we got this Lonnie Walker kid who just was out of his mind at Summer League, so can't wait. That's a great... Part here to transition to these young guys you're naming there because the Spurs are loaded with youth. Let's take a look at some of these guys. Cameron, who are, the, who are the guys here as part of this youth movement in San Antonio, and how old are they? Well, so first of all, these are not the best players on it. Right now, it's still DeMar and LaMarcus. They're in their primes or in the back half of their primes, but they're older guys. Uh, it's the guys who are not household names for most of the country, but Jakob Hurdle's 24. Trey Lyles will be 24 this season. Jante Murray's 23. Lonnie Walker will turn 21 in December, and Keldon Johnson and Lucas Shamanich, their first-round picks this year, are 19 at this moment. So that's a tremendous amount of capable NBA-caliber players who are barely old enough to rent a car or can't rent a car. (laughs) And, I mean, I think that kind of points to the fact that we are in the midst of the transition from the big three to this team that we have now. Uh, And I think... It kind of came in a blink of an eye. If you look two years ago, this was all about, you know, the big three is going to end, and then it's Kawhi's team. And, of course, that wasn't the case. Kawhi's out the building, and they're kind of – I think in most teams in that scenario would scramble, would think we got to shut this down, we got to get rid of our superstars. That's not the case here with the Spurs. I don't think, A, Coach Pop wants to do that as a 70-year-old man who's been around for a while, and, B, I mean, we still have the talent here to make – playoff runs uh, and instead what they did was they reloaded through the draft and that's impressive because they didn't have lottery picks here in the draft uh, the question is which one of these guys or handful of guys are going to turn into stars I mean I think I think uh, DeJounte clearly has star potential it looks like Lonnie Walker uh, has some of that and I'll tell you guys right now keep watching this Keldon Johnson kid now I, 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 look I mean make it a reservation everybody looks good in summer league but this Keldon Johnson kid man I, I'm starting to think they got the steal the first round with him at number 29 or whatever that was that's definitely been the talk I, I think um, I, I can't remember who said it but young Westbrook was a uh, comparison tossed around here. That's which, fair. That sounds great to me. You yeah, know, yeah, we'll a, take it. Super athletic guy who can uh, do stuff like that. And of course, he was the, the highlight of the Utah Summer League there with his 29-point game, which is more than he ever scored in college, which is uh, pretty wild to me. So he's got that kind of ability and that threat. And you do need someone, like you are saying, to step up and be that star. My money right now is on DeJounte, and I think this is a team they're building around his assets, his, his unique skill set. Um, and that's the way I think it's going to go from here on out. You know, one thing that uh, Joe Reinagle was mentioning several years ago, and this is uh, while uh, Tim, Tony, and, and, and Manu were still the, the big three that everybody looked to, they were even young back then. So the, the point is this. I think the Spurs have done a pretty darn good job of kind of consistently staying young and having pieces to work with. Um, so uh, th- this is evidence, again, they're in a really good place for the future. 
Definitely. I want to go back to Keldon Johnson for a minute and read you a list of players. I'll, I'll read this list first, and then I'll tell you what it is. Uh, Keldon Johnson, Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, Malik Monk, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, Julius Randle, Marshall Henderson, Nerlens Noel, and Anthony Davis. Those are players who won uh, SEC Newcomer of the Year, SEC Freshman of the Year. Uh, that's pretty elite company. It's a good list. It's a good list, <laughs> it's a, it's a good list recently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and we talked a little bit about he might be still the draft here for this team, and it comes down to a number that Spurs fans and the San Antonio Spurs are familiar with, and that's number 29. Um, they have found the most value with that pick in the draft, the number 29th pick. That's the second-to-last pick in the draft, and some of the guys the Spurs have taken with that pick include DeJounte Murray, Derek White, and now Keldon Johnson. That's a pretty good list there. Another another fun stat, Jackson. I was doing some research for this. Uh, so the Spurs had 29 in uh, back-to-back years with uh, Dejounte Murray and Derek White. That was 2016 and 2017. Uh, those two guys in those in they, they played four combined seasons for, for the Spurs because Dejounte obviously missed this past year. They've uh, combined for 7.3 win shares, which is one of those advanced stats that says how valuable are you to your team. The Phoenix Suns, they had the number four pick in both the 2016 and 2017 drafts. Uh, they took Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson. Neither of those two guys are on the Phoenix Suns anymore, and they combined for minus 2.2 win shares. So it just goes to show you how much better the Spurs are at evaluating talent and making good picks and getting value late in the draft. It's incredible. It's remarkable. I mean, the, the history speaks for itself. It's crazy good. It's kind of, This is anecdotal, but it... it brings back a quote i don't remember when coach pop said this but he always i mean his his philosophy is don't tell me what a guy can't do you know when we're scouting players don't say hey he can't dribble he can't shoot tell me what he can do the spurs find guys who other teams pass on because they can't do things and they emphasize and utilize what they can do and make them fit this spurs mold you know making the most of the players they can get at that 29 spot or at that 24 spot or whatever pick they have there in the bottom round that's why what you just said. That's why Sean Marks is building the Nets. That's why Sam Presti built the Thunder, because those guys were here and they helped do those things you just mentioned. Exactly. Um, and so if, we've, if we're calling this a sneaky rebuild here in terms of this youth retooling, it, it pales in, I mean, it, it's very different from how most teams rebuild here. Normally the philosophy is, well, we've got to be bad for a few years. We've got to tank. We've got to collect lottery picks, drafts. We've got to try to get a top three pat, uh, pick and hope that they turn into a superstar, one of these once in a generation players. And I mean, some teams have had success with that, like the Philadelphia 76ers and some team, I don't want to keep harping on the Suns here, continue to find themselves in the top five without any success. Yeah, it's, or st- it's still to be determined whether they've done that. I think the the Anthony Davis era in New Orleans is a good example of that, where maybe they rushed something too soon. The counter-argument to what the Spurs are doing is that you could say what wins championships. You need elite, you know, top superstar, all-star, you know, all-NBA players, and right now the Spurs doesn't look like they have that on their roster, and it's unclear whether they'll be able to develop that from a guy who was taken in the, you know, outside the lottery or even as late as 29. It's not out of the question, but, I mean, you have to remember Kawhi Leonard was a borderline lottery pick. He wasn't the end-of-the-first-round kind of guy. No one expected that they were going to develop him into a super-duper star, but they did. So I think there is a definitely an argument to be made for doing it the way the Spurs are doing it because you get all of these young guys they stay on good contracts for a few years they're very tradable they're very valuable and you can 
always you can always make a trade there's going to be a disgruntled superstar every few years now it seems right now just because we don't seem to know who the next guy is doesn't mean it's not going to happen at some point there's going to be a superstar is going to be traded the spurs can get put themselves in line and have built a you know a ready-made landing place for a superstar if they keep developing young talent the greatness of rc buford and his staff and pop and and his coaching staff is this guys when was the last time the spurs faced a rebuild ever 95 90, i don't mean but that that was robinson's injury year yeah. so that's the point you see all these other countless teams in the league that have kind of blown it up and said well okay this didn't work we're going to do a new rebuild the spurs have never done that in you said 95 25 years a quarter century they've never faced a rebuild and yet they've made the playoffs every year maybe not going to the finals every year maybe not winning a championship but that consistency i mean it gives me goosebumps it's incredible they've done it the right way it's really 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 crazy how good and how smart they've been i think you never want to have the atmosphere or the the kind of the the reputation of being a loser or a losing team i think that's haunting the knicks right now because i mean they're a team that's found themselves kind of in the basement since Carmelo Anthony left his prime. Uh, and team, players don't want to go to a losing team. They don't want to go. They'd rather go to a team like the Nets, who have shown some playoff success more recently than the Knicks, who are showing they're doing things the right way, and there's a positivity about the Nets and the way they're doing things. I mean, if, if the, so I think keeping yourself in that conversation as these guys are winners keeps you in that kind of positive rebuilding mode. And that's fair what you said. That's fair what you said, that maybe it's a mini rebuild. But the point is, they still manage to stay competitive. They still make the playoffs. They still might go to the West Finals. It just blows me away. I, I want to go back. I like what you said about that reputation of being a loser. Uh, and some of this is that reputation. I think some of it is also a small market thing, a small market versus big market thing, which has been a big theme this offseason. Uh, but the Sacramento Kings this past year, they broke a streak where they were picking in the top 10 every year from 2009 to 2018. They had traded some of those picks down a little bit, but that is an incredible run of futility. And they had some really good talent come through there, DeMarcus Cousins and Tyreek Evans in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also really whiffed on some draft picks. And when was the last time you heard a free agent ever talk about, oh, I want to go to Sacramento? Like they could be good this year, but that's because they finally started hitting on some of their picks a little bit. I mean, it, it proves that it, it, it's, it's an inexact science, but the Spurs have managed to master that science better than most. Uh, definitely. I mean, we were talking a little bit about the number 29th pick. Other people who have been picked in that spot include Corey Joseph, picked by the Spurs, uh, Marquise Teague, Archie Goodwin, Josh Houston, Houston, Josh Houston, Chris McCullough, and then you get DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Dezana Musa and Keldon Johnson. So, I mean, there's four standouts there who played for the Spurs and then some other guys who didn't really make it in the league. At that 29 spot, you don't expect a lot of value there. And I think we've talked before about how often do the Spurs miss on a pick or have the Spurs just don't draft busts. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you don't expect too much when you're picking 29th. The the standard is just so much lower, but the Spurs are still getting quality NBA players, and that's something other teams, when they seem to have that 29th pick, they're not getting. Yeah, it's uh, perfectly said by you. I think there are some teams, though, that do do what the Spurs do uh, and, and continue to find themselves in winning positions, and one of those teams is the Golden State Warriors. Of course, they're helped by the fact that they have 
three superstars, borderline four superstars. But they found themselves picking at the bottom end of the draft here for four straight years as they kind of see that success. And they found guys who fit their system, who have played valuable minutes now in the playoffs, who are going to be good players like Kevon Looney, yeah. uh, Quinn Cook. Quinn Cook. That's the guy yep. I was trying to think of. Uh, and then this year they took Jordan Poole here at the end of the draft, Jacob Adams, Evans in 2018, Damian Jones. These are guys you, who play valuable minutes and are going to be guys who are on a winning team here. And there's a head coach who is cut from the Spurs mold. <laughs> it all I, comes back to the I Spurs. Hate to be a, I hate to be a cop-out and a sell-out and keep going back to that, but it's true. This is this is a Spurs podcast, Vinny. It's okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I think the other one, Jackson, uh, the Rockets are in a similar situation. They actually haven't had a first-round pick since 2015. They've, they've wow. been trading their first-round picks a lot because – They've been in a, such a win now mode for so long around uh, James Harden and the idea that you know you have a limited window around one of these guys you try to win now. That their 2015 pick was Sam Decker, and that maybe is a whiff. Uh, but they also took Clint Capella 25th in 2014. Uh, but now they're not going to have an opportunity for a first round pick for for a significant amount of time because of those because uh, that trade <laughs> they made with Oklahoma City. Now, granted, I think some of these picks, especially in the front half of this trade, you know, 2021. 2022 2023 they're still going to be a really good team but the interesting ones uh the pick swap in 2025 and the uh protected one through four in 2026 there's a chance that's a pretty decent lottery pick there in 2025 and 2026 and the thunder could be back in contention again or close to that spot. oh their rebuild may not take as long as as, as people think i mean it, there's a lot on paper there to work with what kind of deals could they make you know again as i mentioned earlier a lot of cards to play for the thunder and it's, i'm glad that we're back here because there's a new espn story about the thunder and chris paul um they're working to find a trade it doesn't sound like there's a destination there so they're it, the increasing expectation is the words here used by adrian wojnarowski for espn that Chris Paul is starting the season with the Thunder here. And so that goes back to kind of playing the mentorship role in this rebuild, uh, mentoring Shea Gilgis-Alexander, their young point guard there. Um, so that's kind of breaking news right here off the top of uh, off the off the podcast here. So, Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You just look at sort of the musical chairs game here in free agency and, and the trade market. Everyone else kind of has found their seat. And now Chris Paul is sort of that guy who's looking around and trying to figure out where he's going to sit. And he's kind of stuck with Oklahoma City for now. And the Thunder, I think they will find a trade partner eventually. I don't think he's going to play out the rest of his contract there. But it, like I said, I think it's probably not until next year. Charles Barkley has consistently called him the best leader in the NBA. So if there's any truth to that, we'll see to your guys' points so what, what he does with those kids in Oklahoma City. But part of what the Spurs have seen success through in this youth movement is kind of showcasing them in the summer league and i think they're an organization that uses summer league to kind of see what these players have i mean lonnie walker for instance just showed it off in this summer league what do you guys think of his summer league performance i watched a lot of highlights and he is really good working off the dribble can find his shot it looks like to me anywhere around the perimeter has a burst of speed there if he's running in transition so has a lot of early things that you'll look for from a young player in my opinion I agree. I think, I mean, in terms of athleticism, he's got to be in the top three uh, of athletic guys on the Spurs right now. Uh, DeJounte has some flashes of athleticism. Uh, Derek White's a guy who's who's shown some quickness on the court. I really liked his athleticism there. I liked his touch and his shot selection, too. Uh, you were talking about 
kind of anywhere on the court there. Uh, and he was awarded with the second team Summer League uh, designation there, second team all Summer League designation there. Uh, Cameron, was there anything else that stood out to you from the Spurs here in Summer League? Well, first of all, he was the only player to make second team Summer League while only playing two games That's really in impressive. Summer League. Uh, there were some guys who <laughs> made the uh, the top 10 by playing three out of their teams, five or so games, but Lonnie was the only guy to be named first or second team to only play in two games. But he did so. He scored 28 and 32 in the two games. And I believe the the two games he played, the the Spurs won both of them, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Uh, team went two and two. Uh, they finished with the the 16th spot in the summer league, and then played in a consolation game. They didn't play any of their contract guys, and they didn't really try. Uh, the other guy who stood out to me was uh, Drew Eubanks, 16 and a half points, six rebounds, 1.3 blocks. He was on a two-way deal last year. And I think the Spurs are keeping their fingers crossed that he doesn't sign an actual contract with somebody else. They would love to have him back on a two-way deal again. Pop's always talked really good about him. I mean, is he going to log all the regular season minutes is like other guys? No. But a good good guy to have in the gym and a solid team guy. And I'd love to have him back, too. He definitely fits with the Spurs chemistry. That's part of the coffee gang that goes out uh, when they're in visiting cities and enjoys mm-hmm. coffee. Right. Patty Mills is the head of that. Uh, and I did like him as well. Uh, I liked a lot what I saw from Keldon Johnson. We kind of talked about Utah, but he kind of had some fly- Flashes here uh, in the Vegas Summer League as well. And then Shamanich kind of, they're, they're, it's raw. They're, he, he's a raw guy, but he kind of flashed some tools there. I think he's a little too reliant on the behind-the-back pass. I think he needs to break that habit, and that's something that Pop will, will get him out of in a, in a hurry. I don't think Papa has any sort of uh, room for flashiness like Unless that. Unless Manu gets to Luka, then we're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. we, we got to keep those two separate. <laughs> he's got that sure. behind-the-back dribble going, though. He, he put a couple guys on a highlight reel with that left-to-right behind-the-back dribble to a, to a move. Uh, he's going to get somebody with that at some point this year. Cameron, I think we were talking about it. Are, are his are Shamanich's arms smaller for his? What's his wingspan? I think I can't remember if it was you we were talking about, but I think that kind of plays into the ball handling there. Everything's close to the body. Everything's tight in. He's not this big wing guy spread out. Balls further out from the body there. I don't know if it was you we were talking about. That, I, I, that makes sense because he, he does have a nice shooting touch, and I think sometimes you see those guys with the really ridiculously long arms sort of struggle with their shot, especially early in their career. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a problem for him. I, we were talking with Joe on the last podcast, though, that he's probably the 13th guy on the Spurs roster this year and probably will see a lot of time in Austin just because Coach Pop doesn't usually use a 13-man rotation. So... Yeah, I think we're talking about him a year from now, and I think he's probably the breakout guy in Summer League next year. We're talking about rotation here. Last time we talked, we were thinking Lonnie was maybe the 12th guy off the bench or the 11th guy off the bench. Did Summer League kind of push that towards a top 10 position? Is he going to play significant minutes for the Spurs team? I would think the answer is yes. I mean, it looks like to me there are some guys, himself included, that are going to be knocking on the door to get some regular season minutes. Now, you know, there are certain games, and as you approach March and April, that the, of course, as we all know, the bench shortens. But I think over the course of the long haul, the regular season, there's going to be some guys that are going to convince Pop that uh, they need to be in there. And we know Pop has a history of throwing those guys in there to get, you know, sort of baptism by fire, get their feet wet, and see what they can do. Here's a big fun pod to kind of take. We, last episode, we sort of argued, should it be, uh, who should start at the two-guard spot next to Derek White? Would it be, uh, or next to Jean-Denis Murray, should it be Derek White or Bryn Forbes? Let's have Lonnie Walker start some games at the two and see what happens. I mean, you have so much other experience out there with the other four spots in the starting lineup. I think he would be really interesting because clearly other teams are going to focus in on DeMar and LaMarcus, and we've already seen what Lonnie can do with the ball in his hands. I think in spurts, playing with the starting lineup, he can put up a lot of points as sort of a forgotten option offensively. 
My answer to you would be uh, Derek at the two, but my other uh, comment to you, Cameron, would be that I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Tuesday in January when somebody that's having a bad season is visiting and we see Lonnie get a start. Yeah, he could be a guy that plays in 78 games this year and starts in 13 of them or something like that. You know, Pop is really big on kind of, like you said, baptism by fire and also resting his guys, load management. And that's where having depth at that two position where there's a little bit of injury concern. We've seen Derek White miss some time. DeJounte's missed some time there too. That's where the Spurs are loaded most. I mean, their bench, their depth goes all the way to Marco Bellinelli there. So, I mean, that's a position they're going to they're gonna roll a lot of guys through. So I definitely could see him factoring into that starting run. Remember what happened with Corey Joseph. Threw him out there, and it was pretty clear from the word go that he wasn't ready for the NBA just yet. And then what did he do? Raised his hand, said, please get me to Austin. Let me get better. So he had his NBA run off the top, went to Austin, improved by leaps and bounds, came back here and was great. So I think you might see that with a guy like Lonnie and others. Definitely. Um, I, I, this is my take. I know you said maybe start Lonnie. I know that was your fun take here. <laughs> Vinny is very high on the Derek White. Uh, Vinny, I don't know if you've heard this take from me yet, but I think Derek White is the perfect the perfect guy to jump into that Manu Ginobili role is the six man off the bench. He may not be starting games, but he's going to be the guy finishing. And then you get Brim Forbes in that starting lineup as the guy kind of spreading the ball. Have a guy who can shoot more than 37% from the three on the field because other than him, there isn't a guy out there shooting threes. So you get a little bit more ball spreading there. But Derek White and DeJounte are going to be a deadly defensive combo when they're on the floor together. So you're suggesting Derek White off the bench. Exactly. I can see his personality, what we know of it. I can see him embracing that. I really can. I do too. I mean, and I think he's a guy who played with Manu, you know, his rookie year, Manu was still here. So he saw Manu as a leader, you know, kind of doing that sixth man role. And I think he could maybe want to aspire to that. You know, they talk all the time with the Spurs about those guys that are sort of over themselves and it's all about team and no I, me stuff. And he seems to be one of those guys. Would Marcus Morris seem like the opposite then? Yes. <laughs> wow. That, that's we're going to yeah. keep firing shots at him throughout the year. Stay tuned to the big fun pod, well, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He's, he's enemy number two, I guess, now behind uh, number two, as we were saying, ironically <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, before we transition from Summer League, I do want to bring up something that um, is driving me batty. Vinny, we have a segment here on the big fun pod in honor of Manu Ginobili here about things that are driving us batty, things that are maybe head scratching or that we laugh at in the league or you know maybe drive us crazy here. For me... It, and Cameron and I have talked about this a little bit. Why are teams starters on their summer league team? Jarrett Allen for the Nets was on their summer league team, and he was guy starting in the playoffs for them. Uh, and he was honored with a first team all summer league designation. When we played, when the Spurs played Charlotte, they had two guys on there in Miles Bridges and Dwayne Bacon who were starting for him last year. The games don't matter. The development matters. The games don't matter. Save the guys you're expecting to start for the regular season when when things actually do kind of have some sort of some sort of um gravity to them. Part of the Sean Marks master plan, I guess. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> and who knows what kind of role Jared Allen plays there now that they've got DeAndre Jordan, but that's a guy, that's a, that's a very important it is. facet to it your is. team there. It so. is. Somebody tears an ACL that starts for you in summer league, you're answering a lot of questions at the start of training camp. Exactly. Well, I'll share what's driving me, Batty, and this is one of the most manufactured stories just to keep the Lakers in the headlines. And this is the drama over who gets to wear number 23 for the purple <laughs> and gold. Uh, LeBron had said he was going to give Anthony Davis his number. And then Nike basically said, 
because the Anthony Davis trade happened too late, we had already produced all of the LeBron jerseys where with 23 and it'd be, you know, we don't want to go back and reproduce all of them to say Davis or whatever. Now there's also a conspiracy theory that says LeBron got Nike to say that so he could still keep number 23. And then everybody had to guess what number AD was going to wear again. And now there's this conversation about why did he pick number three? And it goes back to all this other historical. The last time he wore it was in elementary school, which is you know, silly. And why are we talking about this? We're talking about it here. Why was it a national story? These guys are grown men. It really shouldn't be that important for them to have the Jersey number that they want. And also it's LeBron freaking James. He should get to have, he's, he's number 23. He is, you know, who wore number six last year was Lance Stevenson. That, that, that Jersey's already tainted. LeBron doesn't want number six. I think that the bigger question there is what number is LeBron James's Toon Squad jersey for uh, Space Jam 2 here? Oh, yeah. You know the Toon Squad retired 23, uh, 20 years ago, so. I guess he'll be number six for the Toon Squad there. There you go. They need to take a page out of a teammate's book here when it comes to jersey number swaps. I don't know if you saw this, Vinny or Cameron, but Jared Dudley takes to Instagram to announce that next year for the Los Angeles Lakers, he's going to be wearing number two. And... Quinn Cook gets on there and says, oh, man, I was really hoping to wear number two. Uh, my dad was a huge Lakers fan. Rest in peace, dad, was his hashtag. RIP, dad. And Jared Dudley immediately went, no worries. It's your number. It's totally fine. Uh, much respect to your dad. Looking forward to playing with you. Kind of wrapped it in a bow like that. Very respectful, classy move by Jared Dudley uh, to, to offer the number to Quinn Cook like that. That's the jersey number discussion we need to be happening ha- having about the Lakers here. That happened on Instagram? That happened on Instagram. It's 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts here that you'd like to, to leave us with? Ah, it's been a fun free agency summer, uh, a little bit chaotic. I, I agree with the commish. You know, we got we got to firm up some uh, free agency things. But I, I go back to what I said before: the competitive balance in the West is back. That's a healthy thing for the league. And so, uh, look forward to training camp. You know, uh, football season starts, but these days, I think it started last year. The league starts sooner, so the NBA is going to be back before we know it. And uh, this Spurs team is going to be better. They're going to know each other better. They're going to know the system better. So anything goes. Who knows? I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime from the NBA. Summer league gets a little bit crazy. There's just a lot going on. It doesn't mean basketball stops. There's between the big three coming to San Antonio, Coach Pop being involved with Team USA this summer, and the, the World Cup. That's something to definitely keep an eye on. Keep our fingers crossed there are no serious injuries during that uh, time period. That's uh, Playing with Team USA is how Paul George was lost for a year. That's right. Uh, and we're so excited for the, the new NBA. There's so many uh, familiar faces in new places for the start of the season that we're just trying to get to mid-October, get through uh, Team USA, get through the preseason, and, and get some of these guys playing some meaningful games. Definitely. I mean, we're in the offseason now, and you kind of mentioned things are slowing down. There's still a lot of basketball there. But really, is there an offseason anymore? It's been nope. more storylines this offseason than there were during the NBA regular season. As all the moves have progressed this offseason, we've been here covering it on the Big Fun Pod. So thank you again for tuning in this week. Please rate us five stars wherever you may be listening, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. We're on the pod. We're in the podcast universe wherever you may be listening. Vinny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Cameron, we'll see you next time. Thank you all for listening.